Well, though not planned, because here at Calvary Chapel we go chapter by chapter, book by book, study the entirety of Scripture, we find ourselves in both John 3 on Sunday morning and Genesis 3. And I can tell you I absolutely did not plan that to coincide. We just started on a journey. But John 3 is necessary because of Genesis 3. Genesis 3 actually provides the backdrop for why you must be saved. It's actually the other side. Genesis 3 probably gives us some of the deepest, most thought-provoking questions about mankind, our origins, the origin of evil. Why did God create Satan in the first place? Anybody ever thought that? Or if you're like me, the other side of that is, why didn't he just get a new Adam and Eve? Did you ever think about those things? Maybe it's just me. You know, he makes Adam, he creates Eve. We're going to find out very shortly that they're going to give free choice a ride, and in giving free choice a ride, they choose wrongly. And they only have one choice. They only have one thing to choose from, really. And so as we dig into chapter 3, we'll take just the first five verses tonight. And I am going to attempt to answer the unanswerable question that's been battled over for thousands of years. And I'm going to try and do it in about 90 seconds once we pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word Lord, which is able to transform, change us, mold us. And we pray that you, Jesus, would fall afresh upon us by your spirit. Lord, give us ears to hear. Instruct from heaven, Lord, use uh, these lips to communicate your heart, your words to your people. And so as we study your word, would you make us receptive to it? In Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 5 here in Genesis 3. And now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we go. Why did God create Satan? Why is there evil in the world? These are the most probing questions that people ask. They're the things that we want to know. Did God, in fact, create evil? 
Another question that people often ask. I want to draw your attention to a study two weeks ago. And I think it's imperative that we remember the, the whole picture. Remember who God is. God is, in fact, love. Amen? His nature is good. He is absolutely perfect. And he cannot make a mistake, nor can he dwell in the presence of sin. So make sure you begin at that place because it's really important to what I'm about to say. So if God has created mankind chiefly for the purpose, one might say exclusively for the purpose of relationship, and that relationship from God's perspective was always intended to be love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, amen? Not for so God needed the world, or God wanted to exercise his authority over the world, or for God is so sovereign that he, God is so powerful that he, Scripture is very clear that God so loved the world, and then John's epistles will remind us that God, in fact, in his totality, some of all of who God is can be summed up in that God is love. If God in fact is love, then there can't be anything God has ever done that is not purposed in love. If he wants us to love him, then we must be free to not love him. Otherwise, it is not love because love must be volitional. And so God gave his creation free will. Gives us the ability uh, to choose to love him. We have moral free agency, as I said. That is the place from which these verses can be understood. And that is the only place from which these verses can be understood. Because if you remove that from the equation, then God is a monster. God's messing with us. God's just fiddling around with our little brains, which he created. If the motivating factor for everything that God does is not love, if it's anything else, if it's just power, if it's just authority, if it's just sovereignty, if it's any combination of those things, if it's anything beyond love, then you will never understand these verses. But because it is love... Let's think about this for about, let's go with two minutes. So why is there evil in the world? Why did God in the first place create Satan? Because it's very clear that he did in fact create Satan. The question is, did he create Satan with evil in his heart or did he simply give Satan also the opportunity to choose? I will tell you he simply gave Satan the opportunity to choose because he's not forced the angels to worship him either or to love him either. He gave them free will because if there's not a legitimate choice, if there's not a real choice, if there is no volition, then there is no real love. And in order for that choice to be real, there must be something factual to choose. 
You can't just make it up in your mind, well, I wanted you to have a choice. I wanted you to be able to think about choice. There had to be something to choose. And so as the angelic hosts are part of the creation, and we're going to see these verses in a little bit, they were created also with the capacity to choose to love God, to choose to worship God, to choose to do anything that they want to do. And there was one among them that chose to not love God. We know him as Lucifer, Satan. And he led a rebellion. The book of Revelation tells us roughly a third of all of the angels of heaven fell with him. And so God in his infinite wisdom provides the backdrop for mankind to have a choice. Satan being a created being who has wrongly chosen now is the instrument for further choice for all of the rest of God's creation. So now there is a free will choice that was made by one of the angels, Satan, that provides the backdrop for us to choose to love God, not love God, serve God, not serve God, give in to temptation or resist temptation, and he's very real. His name is Satan. There you go. Why did God create him? God created him perfect because remember what we've already seen in chapter 2. Once the creation is done, which would include all of the angels, all the host of heaven, everything was very good, including Lucifer. Lucifer had not sinned at that point in time. He was perfect, and in fact, we're going to see he was the worship leader of the heavenly choir. And that's not a knock on worship leaders. So we have in this passage the beginning of the fall of man. Everything is very good. There's nothing out of order. There's nothing out of the ordinary. And then something finally is going to go awry. But it's not because God made it go awry. It's not because he purposed it to go awry. It's not because he fabricated something that was not good. And all those things are necessary for you to understand as a child of God. Because God's incapable of doing any of those things. He cannot do evil. He does not tempt. We're going to look at that in the book of James. He's incapable of doing anything that's actually wrong. And so all these questions that we have actually are not questions about God's creation, not questions about God's character, but about what created beings do with the choices that they're given. Always is. It's the same thing for you as it was for the enemy of God, Satan. You have that same free will choice that he had. You have been born with a nature that came from Adam. That nature gives you a disposition towards sin, but it does not make you sin. It cannot force you to sin. It is only the opportunity to sin, and that is where temptation comes in. And so that's the first action that we see this created being, Satan, who was created perfect, we're going to see exactly how perfect, so much so that he was a anointed cherub who covers. 
He was one of the cherubim. But he decides, I'm going to exercise my free choice to not love God. And I'm going to tell you these answers, these questions don't have easy answers in the long run. They're things that people still debate and go back and forth with. But I am very comfortable in saying to you that I believe when God created Satan, he was not evil. He became evil by choosing to not love God. And that choice had to be available or there was no love. But he wasn't forced and he wasn't made that way. This is where atheism comes in. You see, people often think that the antithesis of, of God is not God. Atheism means no God. That's what it literally means. So that the opposite of God, believing in God, is atheism. No God. When in fact it actually isn't the case. It's actually a agape. It's actually no love. You see, the opposite of God is no love. The truth is, we are incapable of loving without God. We can like a lot. We can even say that we love, but at the end, that love is always self-motivated. Atheism is the worship, in essence, of self as God. Because we were made to worship. We were made to love. And so atheism becomes love of self. Dualism is a theology which says there are two competing realms. There's the realm of good, and there's a realm of evil, and they battle one another. Which, while it is true that darkness and light are at war, while it's true that God hates evil, while it's true that there is a force, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, that is true, but they are in no way equivalent. Satan is no match for Jesus. He's a defeated foe. And so in that sense, evil only exists because people choose it. Angels choose it. People use choice to choose the wrong thing, which gives them the opportunity to either love God or not love God. And so when you think about evil, you have to think about it for what it is. It is always a choice. Evil has not been purposed by God upon anyone or any group of people. People have made choices that the result of those choices is evil. And so as you think on this, the fall of man uh, enters into the picture. And it begins with something very simple and very benign. And it passes along, in essence, the very choice that Satan himself has made. Because Satan is incapable of creating anything. So when you think about this, this incredible passage where there's going to be a talking serpent, people have a tough time with that. But bear in mind, this is the early stages of the creation of this planet. God has allowed things that existed then that the evidence of those things he destroyed in the flood. 
So there are things that were then then that are not now. And whether this is an actual talking snake or whether this is Satan inhabiting the body of a snake, I don't even know that it's worthy of the argument to try and decide which is which. If there is an answer, I've not been shared uh, with that answer from the Lord or haven't had that answer given to me. But I know this. At that time, there was no pain. There was no death. there, There was no sorrow. There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was nothing that was not very good except for one entity in the garden. Even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not evil itself. It was simply the knowledge that allowed the comparison of those two things. It gave you a perspective on evil. That's why it's dangerous for you to allow your children to read things that stimulate their minds towards evil. The knowledge of evil can drive people to evil because they now have the understanding and the comparison to what that relates to to good. The reason that pornography is so destructive is because it gives an evil position of something that is good. Within marriage, the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is a beautiful thing. But you yank it out of marriage and you allow it to be compared to something else that's evil, then people have the choice. They now can have the understanding, the carnal knowledge of something that is not good. And so God creates the world perfect and completely good. And so here comes Satan. And he begins to work on Eve. And I want to say something. I'm probably going to get in trouble with some people. I think it is a grave mistake to say that all women are naive. I also think it's a grave mistake to say that Adam was spineless. But he was spineless and she was naive. But to apply that to all mankind, I think, is a stretch. They both had their weaknesses. But they both did not know sin. And the only thing that happens is they fail a test in temptation. That's all that happens. And I want to be really specific here because I think some people confuse temptation with sin. Temptation is in and of itself not sin. It is the temptation to sin. It's the choice. And in fact, battling temptation is a sure sign that you're actually a child of God. Some people come to me, I I just, you know, I've been thinking about this and and they come defeated. And I'm going, praise God, you've been thinking about it, not doing it. The temptation to sin in and of itself is not sin. It is dwelling there. It is going there. It is doing that that is sin. It's the behavior, not the understanding that there's something to choose because that's what God gave Satan. That's what God gave Adam and Eve. And everything at that point they were given choice was still very good. So it is not the temptation because temptation comes from an external source. It's not internal. Always comes from the outside. The temptation is something that is, comes and attacks, in essence, your mind and vies for your attention. It's an enticement to do what God has, has told you not to do. But you still have a choice to not do it. 
You have a choice to act correctly. The scriptures that I have up here, you can jot them down, you can, you can read them. But it says very clearly there in, in Romans chapter 5, we covered this a number of months ago when we were there. And therefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. In other words, the picture is this. Adam's blunder passed along to all of us what we call original sin or a sin nature. But it did not make you sin. It simply made you susceptible to sin. It has not created in anyone the innate capacity to not resist. It's simply given you the choice. So in essence, that sin nature in you is the, it is the carryover, if you will, of Adam's original ability to choose for himself. And so every human being still has to this day the capacity to choose to do right or to do wrong, to sin or to not sin to do something that pleases God or to do something that does not please God. And so in a way, the Lord allowing that transference through Adam and Eve to all generations that have followed has in essence given each one of us the ability to choose this day whom you will serve. To be born again, as we talked about this morning. That's why it's necessary. Because you do have the capacity and unfortunately all of us eventually start to serve self. You ever want to see this? Look at babies. You you don't pull your your tiny infants aside. Okay, now listen up, honey. I'm going to teach you how to lie. First thing they do is figure out that when they cry, they get fed. Right? So what do they do? They cry all the time. They're going to get fed all the time. They tell you they, they lie to you. They put two kids together, put a cookie on the table. They're going to break it in half. And so I'm going to take the big piece. You, you do not have to train them to do that. It's inherent within mankind to be able to choose to serve oneself or to choose to serve others and, and God at the same time. So all humanity is susceptible to sin. And because there was nothing evil in the world, this choice that was given to Adam and Eve had to come from an external source because they were by nature very good. So temptation in that sense was necessary for them to be able to prove their love. And of course they did not choose wisely. Romans 8 reminds us the whole creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, But because of him who subjected it, it says, in hope. God didn't allow this process to get underway so that we could all be miserable. He allowed the process of us choosing so that we could really say that we actually love him. I had some great conversations this morning, and a lot of them uh, stemmed around actions. In other words, well, you know, if grace, you know, God's grace is so easy to obtain, you know, then what happens to these things? I said, you need to make sure that you get the first part correct. You have to choose to love God first, and then the works that you do will prove that. But you can do all the works and never love God. So you have to have the choice to be able to not do the right thing, not choose right but rather choose wrong in order for any of it to have any meaning whatsoever. And so he gets persuaded. And I want to remind you that temptation is cyclical. 
It has a cycle. It, it actually begins in one's mind. It does not begin in anywhere else. People will say, well, you know, I have a genetic disposition towards this or towards that. And while I'm not here to argue genetics with you, I can tell you this. God is either a liar or all humankind can resist all sin. I believe all humankind can resist all sin. We are not always successful in that, nor do we apply all our effort to it. But the fact of the matter is we have been created with the capacity to resist sin. God made us that way. The question is, will we choose to go that way? Not whether we can or cannot, but whether we'll actually choose to believe God and resist the devil. That also has to happen when you're in a right relationship with God because the power to do that comes from God himself, which is one of the reasons that we need a savior is so that we have the power to resist sin. But that cycle of sin begins with just I'm tempted. Anybody in here get tempted today? I love cheese sauce and chips so here's what I have to do I have to take a little bit of queso and put it in a bowl and heat it up and I have to get kind of the chips and I can't take the whole bag of chips out because I'm tempted by the whole bag of chips and the entire jar of the queso so in order that I do not have a coronary event when I'm teaching I have to limit the amount of queso and chips that I have while I'm watching any kind of sporting event that's called resisting the devil and in this case the devil is made out of cheese it's not that hard but that began in my mind you see i know inside of the cabinet the sacred pantry of goodies exists this glorious golden bag with a clip on top of it called tortilla chips. And they call to me in my mind, we're in here. And then their friend, the queso, which is in the freeze, it's in the fridge, they begin to call together, we're over here too. And in my mind, there begins a battle over my spirit and my flesh because my spirit's going, coronary, the Spirit of God's going, you're going to be as big as a house. You should not eat that stuff because it transfers directly to parts of your anatomy that shouldn't get any larger. And so in my mind, there's a battle called temptation that is completely neutral. I've not acted on it. I've simply thought about it. But here's what happens. That temptation appeals to my flesh. I can taste the cheesy goodness on my fingertips. I entertain the thoughts of my fingers being coated with the cheesy goodness as I dip the last little bits of chip in there. You see, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, aren't I? And then I ignore my conscience. See, my conscience is going, you don't need it. The Holy Spirit's going, mm, 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 mm. But see, it's not sin yet. It's still a battle. Then I ignore my conscience. And I walk in and I get the bag. I'll only eat a little. 
And then the rest of the jar of cheese goes in. And the whole bag comes to the table. Then I drag my poor wife into it. And then it tastes so good that I become totally callous towards what I'm doing. She's like, give me more. And then it becomes a habit. And pretty soon, you're going to Costco buying a whole box of chips. And then in your garage, you have the, like, the, little, the little altar to the chips. Oh, great chip God. You see, because no one can have two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to hate the one and love the other. So there you are in your garage. You got your altar to the chips and the altar to the queso. You have now got a new God. And your allegiance begins. Somebody comes in, you know those are bad for you. Are you disrespecting my God? Are you trying to be a legalist in my life? And before you know it, you're locked in. You can't live without it. Now, I know that's a silly example, and I made it so perfect purposely. But it's a perfect example. Because that's pretty much what happens to Adam and Eve. It's a piece of fruit. And it's a piece of fruit about which there shouldn't have been that big a deal about saying, nah, God said so. But that's how temptation works. It works in your mind. And you dwell on it. And it tempts you, and you entertain it, and you begin to think about it and dwell on it, and you ignore the consciousness that the Lord's given you about those things, and you become callous to it. You commit that first sin, and then the first sin leads to the next sin, and the next sin leads to another sin, and before you know it, you don't even care about the sin anymore. Ask any drug addict if I'm right. Ask any alcoholic if I'm right. Nobody forced them, but they entertained it. They thought about it. That's all that's going on with Adam and Eve. So at this point in time, they could still say no. And their choice would be real because there was something to choose. There was real fruit and there was real temptation in their minds. There was a real choice to be made. How are you going to handle your choices? Because they're just going to be your mind at first. And that's where you have to win the battle. That's where you have to choose to say no to temptation. The next thing we need to see is the nature of the serpent himself, the nature of the one who's providing the other choice. I can tell you right now, Satan knows exactly what to throw in front of you. For me, it's tortilla chips. No, actually, there's a lot of things that tempt us, aren't there? Think about it. And many of them are actually good, aren't they? I think most of us would rather have more money than less. Anybody in here want to be broke? I didn't think so. Is having money a sin? It is not. 
What is sin? It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. Money's neutral. Thinking about money isn't even wrong. It's neutral. It is allowing that to absorb your thought process to the point that it now becomes your God. So temptation is in your mind. Satan knows how to get to your mind. Satan says, you deserve better than this. And before you know it, you're willing to commit a crime. To have more of something that God's not chosen to give you more of. God's clearly told you, he spoke to you, look, you know, that drinking is is a place that the enemy is going to be able to get his hooks into you and you need to not do it. But but I have liberty. I, I drink responsibly. Uh, you know, I, I can handle it. And then that moment of weakness comes and the problem comes in your life and you just feel like, you know, I really don't want to think about this right now and you never never intended to take that third drink, that fourth drink. And you surely never intended to get in the car and drive. But the enemy fed you a lie. You can handle it. You're going to be fine. You need to know the nature of the serpent. Who is he? Revelation 12 defines him as that old serpent, age long. He was there in the garden. He was created before Adam and Eve. He was perfect. In in your Bible, whenever you see the word angel, it really could be translated at most any point in time, simply messenger. And we're told in the book of Hebrews Uh, exactly what that means that those messengers have been assigned to us to accomplish in essence the will of God uh, in areas of our life for protection for guidance direction Uh, there there really is a is a host of those heavenly beings that exist all over the universe I believe but certainly here around this earth protecting us who are here as humankind and there are millions if not billions of them But there was one who was created. We find him in Isaiah 14, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 14. We'll pick up in verse 12. He's the one that is the focus. He's the same as the serpent. He's the same as the king of Tyre of Ezekiel 28. In verse 12, and I want you to see how he functions, how he works. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you falling from heaven? How, how did this end up bad? You were created perfect. We're going to see that when we get to Ezekiel 28. How are you cut down to the ground? You who weakened the nations. Notice it doesn't say destroyed the nations. It says weakened, and that's a very accurate translation. Satan doesn't do all that much evil. He convinces man to do evil. That's the way he generally works. He tempts. 
he whispers in your ear just as he did in Eve's ear. Notice verse 13, for you have said in your heart, and here it comes, the I will statements. Anytime you find yourself saying I will, and then afterwards you're comparing yourself to God, you are in deep trouble. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and that could be the angelic hosts of God as well as the actual stars themselves. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation. In other words, I'm going to take over the church. I will also sit uh, on the farthest sides of the north. In other words, as far as God can go, I can go further. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Uh, And the phrase there in the original Hebrew is, I will be equivalent to God himself. If not superior to And then the prophet Isaiah, seeing his end, says, yet you should be brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. So here we see Lucifer's character. Who is he? Self-absorbed, self-focused, self-promoting. He is the God of self. What do we see when he attacks mankind? We see man become completely absorbed with self. We begin to worship our own ideals, our own identity. We begin to do whatever we want. We work towards the end of pleasing ourselves. We have zero desire to please God. And we simply go about trying to take care of things the way we would like them to be. That is the spirit of the devil himself. Selfishness, narcissism is not from God. When people, you know, talk about in our modern context, you know, well, the first person you've got to please is yourself. That is not from God. That is a modern construct of psychologists and psychiatrists. Because the more you try and please yourself, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find out you can't. And so you will do more drugs, you'll have more relationships, you'll drink more alcohol, you'll want more money, you'll want to please yourself endlessly, and you'll never get there. It is the person who says, I will die to myself, that actually is a victor. You can find that in Mark chapter 10, by the way. For the one who desires among you to be the greatest must be the servant of all. It doesn't say you need to be great among men. It says if you want to be great in God's eyes... You need to love other people. Take care of them. Have their best interest in mind. You see, Satan had his own interest in mind. And he is going to go after Eve in such a way that she will worship him instead of God. That same temptation is available today in all kinds of different flavors. The king of Babylon... There's another picture of them that's used in the book of Revelation. But these pictures here, if you turn to Ezekiel 28, I want to look at one more. Ezekiel 28, pick up in verse 11. Exemplified in this king of Tyre, and we find out who he is, uh, that it's not the actual king of Tyre. This is a picture, again, of the anointed cherub who covers But moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Son of man is a messianic title for Jesus. 
Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So we begin to see that the king of Tyre, because Tyre wasn't even a nation, that, that the king of Tyre was around about 600 years before Jesus. In order to be in the garden, you would have had to have been around thousands of years prior to that. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. Uh, by the way, it are the exact same colors of the stones in the breastplate of the high priest. So it sounds like originally... One of Satan, Lucifer's, this great cherub's duties was to cover for those who would become the children of Israel. And no one has suffered more greatly than they from his fall to this day. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was their worship instruments was prepared for you on the day you were created. So we can see he was a created being. He was in the garden. He was designed to protect very specifically those who would come as the children of Israel. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now remember, we only have a handful of cherubim that are even mentioned in the scriptures, and they are the most powerful of all the angelic host. They're the protectors. They're the ones who are like the super angels, if you will. Not the L.A. angels of Anaheim. Who are currently not in the playoffs, but the Dodgers are. Just saying. Go blue. Told you I'm tempted easily. You were the anointed cherub who covers... And I established you. You can see the picture. God created Lucifer perfect as a cherub who was protecting the seed that would be the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, he was right at the top of the angelic list. And so what happens? You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. He was in the middle of the worship in heaven. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created. A second time, Satan is a created being. He is not equivalent to God. He does not have the same power as the Lord Jesus. He was created by God for the protection of people on this earth until iniquity was found in you. So we see this picture. The nature of the serpent. He was designed to be good. God didn't create evil. God allowed there to be choice. This great cherub had it, and he rejected that choice. 
Now, did God know? Of course he did. He's God. But did God make him do it? No, he did not. He simply allowed for it. And so begins this, what I call the great deception. Can I say to you that the greatest deception of all is self-deception? And no one has been more self-deceived than Lucifer. Because he began to believe his own press, so to speak. He began to act on that. And so in acting on it, we find him in the garden. Whispering in Eve's ear. We, We find him with his heart lifted up, desiring, I will be like the Most High God. And so the only way he can do that, he's going to need followers. And so he becomes the source of temptation. Notice I did not say the source of sin. The source of temptation to sin. Sin will come. But sin comes when you act, I act, anyone acts, everyone acts. Sin only comes when you, with knowledge, disobey God. So he begins to try and tempt Eve to join his fledgling army. He's corrupted by his own brightness, believing his own story, so to speak. He may have have reasoned, maybe in his heart, he may have even thought, well, maybe I'm not created. Maybe God's just not being square with me. Maybe I'm equivalent to him. We don't know. But I can tell you this, there are people on this earth that believe basically that thought about creation. They believe it happened by accident. That billions of years of time and a whole bunch of cosmic accidents is how we got here. See, people like an alternate to God because if there is a God, then you have to ask yourself, what does he want of me? Because if he created me, he must have a plan. And I wonder what that plan is. People don't like that. They want to control their own destiny. And that's exactly what happens with Satan's deception. That's why he is the deceiver of the whole world. That's why he's effective in what he does. That's why the plan worked. That's what's going on here with Eve. Eve wasn't forced into it. Satan didn't grab her by the neck, put her in a headlock, drag her over the tree, pull that fruit off the tree and go, eat this. What does Satan do? He questions God's goodness. Questions God's word. What does Eve do in response? Also questions God's word and then actually alters God's word. Because she blames God for saying something God doesn't even say. Well, God said we can't touch it. God didn't say that. God said you couldn't eat of it. It's the first instance that we have of somebody adding to what God said. And it didn't work out very well. So here this woman begins to have a conversation and it's interesting to me because you really see the power of bitterness. You can, you can almost imagine this conversation. Because people, are, people were uniquely created in the image of God. So you can almost imagine this exalted cherub of heaven 
seeing this incredible gift that was given to Adam. I want you to take this parade of animals. I want you to name them all. I'm giving you dominion over the entire earth and all of the animals on it. And Satan didn't have that. Lucifer didn't have it. Bitterness wells up in his heart. He's forced to believe, is God good or is God not good? And he, of course, chooses wrongly. He says, no, I'm going to get me some of my own. I want to be like God. Can I tell you something? There's only room for one God in the universe. And it ain't you. It's not me. It's him. We worship him. There's going to be things you're not going to understand. There's going to be things that you're going to want to be different. There are going to be things you're going to feel you're entitled You're going to have all kinds of things. Do not let bitterness and resentment dig into your heart and take root there. Because if you do, you're going to end up exactly like Eve. She began to distrust God. And people sometimes say, well, I can't believe a snake was... We don't know if this was a talking snake. There is one instance, Balaam's donkey talked, so it's not like God couldn't cause a snake to say something. Might be another miracle. Doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, sin begins with doubting God. That's all Satan had to do, was whisper in Eve's ear and get her to doubt God. Look at what it says. Has God surely said... In other words, God's messing with you. He doesn't directly accuse God. He gets her to doubt God. He's just kind of given a little bit of a twist to what God had actually said. And you're going to find out in your own life that sin very often just simply begins with doubting God. Well, you know, I don't know why he wouldn't want me to sleep with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I mean, after all, it's a committed relationship. And you know what God's word says. You know God's opinion on it. Do you not know that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's pretty plain, folks. And so what happens? Well, I don't want to be by myself. You know, that, that, that isn't what he meant. You know, we might get married someday. We really love each other. That's doubting God. That's saying to God, God, you don't know what you're talking about in my life. It may work for everybody else but it doesn't work for me. That's all that's going on with Eve. She begins to doubt God's goodness. Begins to doubt that God has her best interest in mind and Adam's best interest in mind. And so the woman said to the servant, we can eat of every fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So she goes the other way. She alters God's word. 
Isn't it just like us when we have been confronted with something in our lives that we know God doesn't want us to do, we make God out to be a bad guy? Not only do we disagree with what he said, but then we accuse him of putting some heavy weight or burden on us when that isn't what he did at all. In love, he said, you know, if you really want to be right with me, you can't do these things. And then we add a whole bunch of other stuff onto it. We make God out to be a cosmic killjoy. Like his whole goal and purpose is to get up every day and make sure that we're miserable. Oh, I can't even touch the one tree. You can almost see her kind of whining like that. He told me I couldn't touch it. If I touch it, I'm going to die. And the enemy's going, oh, that's not going to happen. I mean, come on. That, Eve, you're overreacting. She didn't believe him. Can I tell you that God always keeps his word? And he's never wrong. He will never mislead you. So here's my advice to you with this passage. Don't believe the enemy. Believe God. When he comes and he lies and he whispers in your ear and he tries to get you to disbelieve God, when he tries to get you to alter God's commands, when he tries to get you to not trust God, don't believe him. You see, here's the truth of it. All Satan can really do is lie to you. Because if you're a child of God, God has got you. But Satan can lie to you so that you help Satan out. That you buy his lies, that you get going his direction, you hear all that garbage, and you think, just like Eve did, God's trying to keep something from you. Please, in Jesus' name, don't do that. God means what he says, he says what he means, and when he says it, that is your best course of action, period. End of conversation. That's why when people go to you say, well, you know, I just don't think it applies to me. Oh, yes, it does. He wouldn't have said it if it doesn't apply to you. If it's true about me, it's true about you. God doesn't have special rules for me. Those things that he said that we should do, we're supposed to do. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. That's the crazy thing. This all starts, it all ends with God loves us. He loves us so much that he reminds us of things we shouldn't do. He's not trying to put you under his thumb. He's trying to prevent you from harming yourself, doing things that are going to destroy you. And remember the character and nature of the enemy. He is a liar. John 8, we'll get there in a while in the Gospel of John. John 8, 44. He is a liar. And when he speaks, he speaks from those resources, for he is the father of all lies. So he's always lying to us. He's always tempting us. Here's the good news. The beautiful news. It's found in James 4. You can read the whole passage, but verse 7 it says, 
because of these wars, because of the internal fighting, because of the things that dart through our minds, because of chips and cheese sauce, because of drugs and alcohol, because of sexual sin, because all these things exist in our world, people have made really bad choices. And the, com- the cumulative effect of those choices is there's a lot more evil to choose today than there was in Adam and Eve's time. That's the long and the short of it. Adam and Eve had exactly one negative choice that they could make. But that one negative choice allowed them to have complete volition to love God and to choose to do exactly what God told them to do. They had one. We have tens, hundreds of thousands of choices. All because other people have made really bad choices. So you now have the choice to to smoke. Smoking kills you. And I'm not trying to put you under bondage. But we know emphatically smoking kills more people than anything else in the United States of America. And yet it's still out there. Well, it won't kill me. I have people all the time. Well, I know this guy and he smoked until he was 95 years old. Yeah, that's true. And I also know a 37-year-old with a trachea that now has a tracheostomy in it because of throat cancer. So again, not putting you under bondage. God said, take care of your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything that you know is going to destroy it. Why am I saying this? Because we have a lot of choices we can make. And yeah, they may be marginal. You might be able to make a case that, well, it's not going to harm me. Or, you know, it's, not, it, it's bad for a lot of people, but I have it under control. We're not to do anything. So we have a lot of choices including tortilla chips and cheese sauce. You make meals out of tortilla chips and cheese sauce for a long time? You keep ambulances in business. Don't do that. So to that end, therefore, verse 7 of James 4, submit to God. All you've had to do is submit to God. That's it. That's all she had to do. God's right. This is a bad decision. I'm not listening to the devil. I'm going to submit to God. Because as I said, it began only in her mind. She had not yet sinned. Thinking about making a bad decision is not the same as making the bad decision. It's just thinking about it. Resist the devil. Can you imagine Every area of your life, this principle is absolutely a reality if you will take it. Submit to God, resist the devil. That's, that's the reality that we have before us. And here's the result, and he will flee from you. Had Eve enacted that one verse found in James chapter 4 and verse 7, submit to God, God's right. He said, I'm not to eat of this one tree and resist the devil. Look, devil, you're messing with me. Get out of here. I'm not talking to you. Talk to the hand. I'm out. Mic drop, boom. It's over. You know what the devil would have had to do? Had to go pick on Adam himself. Eve would have been victorious. She could have walked away going, nanny, 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 you didn't get me. 
That's what God wants us to be able to do. Submit to him, resist the devil, and the devil will flee. Don't let temptation get you. Amen? Father, thank you for tonight. The incredible power of your word. And Lord, we make so complex things that are so simple. Lord, you just simply ask us to trust you, believe you. You've asked us to submit to you and to resist the devil. You haven't asked us to jump through all the mental gymnastics that we go through. You haven't asked us to have to sort all this out for ourselves. You've simply asked us to trust you. And where your word speaks with authority, gives us direct guidance, God, we ask that you would give us great victory in our minds. We pray that we would be able to submit to you and resist. Lord, to actually stand and say no to every temptation that comes down the pipe. Lord, when those things come, we ask you to help us to take those thoughts captive in Christ Jesus, to not dwell on them, to not act on them. Pray that you would set free tonight any that are in bondage. Lord, those that are in bondage in their mind and they're, they're mulling over that thing that's in their cabinet right now, that relationship they're not supposed to be in, Lord, those drugs, God, maybe the alcohol, something that is destroying their temple. Lord, it might be something as simple as those chips. God, we can't resist food, Lord. Maybe we become uh, obsessed with that. Lord, the enemy's winning, and we don't want to see him win. And so, Lord, help us to have victory in the areas that we are tempted. Thank you for the choice to choose, Lord. Thank you that it's real that we are able to say by the choices we make, we truly do love you. And so bless us as we resist and submit ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anthony and the team are going to lead us in one worship song. We'll have some pastors up front. Maybe you're dealing with something. You just need a little prayer for some area of your life where the enemy's got a closet full of tortilla chips and you need to be freed from it it really is that temple I'm saying that so you'll be free to come and be prayed for so pastors come forward if you need prayer just come on up he who the son has made free is free indeed amen never again to be locked in bondage but free submit resist watch him flee worship.